0: One of my earliest childhood memories that at least I think I remember correctly was when I was about two years old and I went to go visit my grandmother, my great-grandmother in Coldwater, Mississippi. Yes, that's a real place, Coldwater, Mississippi. Went to go see my great-grandmother there, called her Grandma Harris, and went to go see Grandma Harris and I remember this bunny rabbit. It was pink and it was holding a carrot, and it was a stuffed animal, and this thing was just huge. It was the biggest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. I remember this thing was just this monstrous rabbit. And then several years later, I went back to go visit Grandma Harris, and as we made that trip down there, I remembered that rabbit. When we got to Grandma's house, I said, hey, Grandma, you remember that rabbit that you used to have? It was sitting on the couch I remember that when I was much younger I said I I was, I was really little and I remember you just had this huge rabbit she brings out this regular size bunny rabbit and I'm blown away she said this was it and I said no 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 it was like really really big it was a huge rabbit and she said that's the rabbit you're talking about that's the only one that I've ever had I just kept it here for when you grandkids came and you know it was just a stuffed animal that I kept laying around I'm going this thing used to be huge It used to be like this monstrous, giant, you know, seven foot bunny rabbit. Now she's just showing me a regular rabbit. And that just goes to show you that as we get older, our perspective changes and things that we used to think were just so big, maybe it wasn't as big or things that we thought weren't as big of a deal. All of a sudden they are a lot bigger. Our perspective changes so much as we get older. I remember used to thinking when I was younger that it took forever for Christmas to get there. Now I'm like going, oh no, how much longer do I have, you know, uh, before Christmas comes around? All these different things, they seem to change as I get older. And the same is true in our walk with God because our perspective changes as we grow. And as we grow in Christ-likeness and godliness, as we grow in a relationship with God, we see that we grow to know Him more and more, and our perspective does change. But I want us to make sure we're doing something. How do we know if we're viewing God correctly as we grow? How can we be sure that as we're growing that we have a correct view of God? Because there are a lot of voices out there there are a lot of things that would be in opposition to the truth that would want to deter us away from the truth, and we all want to make sure that we stay grounded in the truth of God's Word. So we're going to do that today by going to 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bible today, go to 1 John chapter 4. If you're newer to the Bible, it's not the John that's in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the John that's closer to the back of the Bible. So just go all the way back to Revelation and maybe start uh, heading the opposite direction, and you'll run into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we're going to go to 1st John chapter 4 today. And John is writing to the church, to the body of Christ. And he's wanting to help them guard against false teaching and deal with false doctrine and anything that would want to distract people away from Jesus. That was a big problem in the early church. It's a big problem in our day and age today because there are many voices. Everybody has a YouTube channel or a blog or something and they can get their voice out there and make sure that their voice is being heard. And we want to make sure we're discerning correctly, we're growing correctly, and that we have a healthy view of God. So with that in mind, let's go over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's read the first six verses here together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John's trying to help his audience to understand the spirit of truth, to know how something is legit or how someone is legitimately from God. And the more you know God, the sweeter the gospel of Jesus Christ is to you because Jesus is the answer and Jesus is the reason that you and I are able to have access to God. And the more that we hear that message, the sweeter it should become to us. I've been a Christian um, ever since I was uh, really young, uh, at a very young age, and I grew up in the church. And growing up in the church, I've always heard people have this desire For more, I've always heard this desire for more, and it sounds really spiritual when you say, I just want more of God. And normally what I've come to find that to mean, especially as I've been a pastor for 20 years, is that people mean they want to hear something they've never heard before. They want to hear something put in a way perhaps they've never heard before because it tingles the senses and it makes them feel like they have just now been intellectually engaged and they're excited about hearing something perhaps presented a way they've never heard before. Maybe someone brings up some really old uh, type of custom that they found in some history book. Maybe there's some connection made between some sort of uh, teaching and some sort of allegory, or there's some sort of connection made between something relevant that's happening today that could be prophetic in nature, and people get really excited about that. And in church, we call that stuff the deeper teachings, and people want deeper teachings. And there's nothing wrong with seeking to know more in the Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with desiring to to grow in understanding more about the Scripture. But understand this, the message of the Gospel, the message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for a sinner like you and me, giving us His grace instead of giving us what we deserve, Him giving us forgiveness, Him reconciling us, Him adopting us by His Spirit and calling us sons and daughters of God. There is no greater message you will ever hear there's no greater message you will ever hear I I get excited about finding little nuances in the scripture and I like having conversation about what about this or what about that there's nothing wrong with that but it should not be greater than or it should not excite the Christ follower more than the message of the gospel. Because the longer we walk with him, the sweeter the message of the gospel should become to us. There is nothing greater than what Christ has done on the cross for you and I. There is nothing greater And if it's pointing us to Jesus, if it's pointing us to know him more, then it should become sweeter to us the more that we hear it, not more commonplace. Sometimes we can get on this uh, type of thinking where we think that because we know something, we're ready to move on to something else, something more exciting. And this is true of Christians hearing the message of the gospel They hear this message of the gospel and then they say, Pastor, I know that. I've heard that. I'm ready for something deeper. I'm ready for something more. I know that. Listen, church, the more you know God, the sweeter the gospel of Jesus Christ should be to us. This was the calling card of how John wanted everyone to understand whether or not someone was genuinely from God or not because there were people who were out there teaching and preaching messages that were, that were close. They were things that may sound exciting or enticing, but they weren't really the gospel. He said the way you're going to know, the way you're going to test the spirits, the way you're going to know if someone genuinely is from God is are they confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are they speaking about Jesus? Are they presenting Jesus? I remember there was an old uh, dear brother that I look up to as a mentor in the Lord that he uh, used to say this. Um, He would say uh, that if if you would have a, a traveling minister come through or someone come and teach, he said, count how many times they say Jesus. He said, because that's really all we need to hear about anyways. And that was the most important thing to him. And I remember one time when the church was without a pastor and they were looking for a new pastor. They were saying, just just see how many times he says Jesus. That was this guy's criteria. Because church, all that really matters at the end of the day is Jesus, amen? And the more you know God, the more actually this message of the gospel is gonna become sweeter to you. I remember uh, that there was a book that's called The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. It's a great book and when I first read it, it gripped me to the core and it caused some uh, just fireworks to go off in me and it stirred my passions and stirred my affections for Jesus in a way that quite frankly had never been stirred or haven't been stirred in a very long time and when I read that book, I was so excited because of how it just just radically laid out the gospel in such a plain way and showed how the gospel of Jesus Christ connected to everything in my life. And so I naturally, when I'm excited about something, I become a salesman for it. I don't know why I don't get commissions on things like this. But when I get excited about something, I go around and I say, hey, you got to read this or hey, you need to you know, try this or whatever the case may be. And I was just all fired up about this book. And I went to someone that I considered to be a spiritually mature person. And I said, this just set my world on fire. Uh, God used this in a powerful way in my life. And they were like, well, I got to get it. And they got it. And the conversation that followed after they read the book was very disappointing. It was very discouraging because I said, did you get the book? And they said, yeah, I got the book, the explicit gospel. And they said, Derek, there's nothing to that. I already know all of that. And I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) Because if you knew it, you, if, 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 if it were life to you, it would stir something real in you. How can we hear about the gospel? How can we hear about what Christ has done for us? And we just say, oh, I already know that and we just want to move on. No, I don't want to move on. I want the gospel of Jesus to become sweeter and sweeter to me. That's how I can know I'm growing in a healthy perspective of knowing God more. Because if someone strays from the gospel... Or if someone elevates some other teaching above the gospel, you should beware of those types of teachers. Beware of people who would elevate you instead of elevating Christ. Amen? Beware of people who would want to use Christ as some sort of uh, door opener, some sort of uh, kind of just, just, just the guy that just kind of props the door open, and, and now you really get to get into all of the truth and all of the things about God. No, it's, it's, Jesus is the door. He is the gate, but he's also the one behind the door, because when you become a Christian, you get Jesus, and Jesus is all-sufficient. Jesus is not lacking in anything, Amen. It's not like Jesus plus something else that God could ever do or give me is going to be better than just having Jesus. Jesus is enough. And when we realize the the sufficiency of Christ and we grow in understanding the sufficiency of Christ, we grow in things like contentment. We grow in things like gratefulness and thankfulness. We grow in understanding the richness of His love and the depths of His grace that He's given us. And then that's able to translate out of my life and into ministering that to other people because it comes from a place where it's real to me. But I first have to experience and treasure who Christ is and I want to make sure that as I'm growing in, in teaching, as I'm growing in the Word, that I'm growing in understanding the gospel. Because we need to be so careful. There are so many people who would call themselves teachers, who would call themselves prophets, and they would speak in a way that would just make you feel good. They would speak in a way that would just tell you things that you want to hear or that are convenient to the listener. That's how I grew up in those types of false teachings and false doctrines. I grew up thinking that God just wanted me to have whatever I wanted whenever I wanted it, and there's a magic formula, and if I did A, B, and C, and if I was a good enough person, and if I said all the right words, and I said them just right, and said them the right amount of times, and had enough faith, and didn't have any sin, and gave enough money to the church, and gave the right amount of money to the church, then God would just give me whatever I wanted, and I would have no problems, no sickness, no no lack, anything like that. And I grew up in that type of teaching, and I've had people throughout the years ask me, how did you come out of that? Like, what was the change moment? What was the kind of, you know, peeling back the the, the, the the layers of all that false teaching? Because every one of us have a story of our own upbringing and the way we were brought up, whether in a Christian home or not. We all had a perspective on God. We all had a view about God and the way that he operated. And what was the change moment? moment for you is what people will often ask me and I always tell them the same thing I got to a place in life where I said Lord I want to know you for who you are without having to make excuses for you because every time I would talk to someone who was a lot smarter than me and who knew God a lot more intimately than I did when they would see the type of teaching and the type of thing that I was wrapped up in they would ask me really hard questions but guess what like any good you know, person who had been trained up in the way that they'd been trained up, you knew the answers to be able to fend off those who would be critics. And so I knew how to fend off the critics, and I knew all the answers, but man, I felt so yucky about making all these excuses for God because, yeah, it would be like, I know the Bible says this, but anytime someone says that, you need to watch out. And I would always say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that there, but, you know, and I would, be, I would just do the same twisting that was taught to me. And when I began to say, God, I want to allow you to show yourself to me through your word, with your word being the foundation, then there's going to come a crossroads. There's going to come a collision of what I've been taught and what I've come to believe and what the scripture says. There's going to come a collision. What's going to happen when that happens? Well, let me tell you the first thing that happens it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. When you see something in the Scripture that is contrary to what you had been taught and had come to believe as truth, now your perspective on God is changing. And I have to, I, I have to be confronted with that, and, and I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to refortify my position by justifying, by telling all the, the, the traditional things that I've heard, all the things I've grown up hearing, or I'm going to say, well, the Scripture is speaking here in a very strong way. And I need to allow God to show me who He is. There, I, I tell you, one of the biggest revelations that I ever had, um, that has become uh, just a uh, something that's somewhat of uh, just a bedrock in my faith, has been my understanding of uh, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, the way that I grew up with that was such a gross abuse of Scripture, and there are Scriptures that plainly speak to the very things that I was dealing with growing up. And when I allow the Scripture to shape my view and my perspective of God, now I can stand strongly on the rock, the solid rock of the Word of God and not just my experiences or what I want to be true or improper use of Scripture and and cherry-picking and twisting Scriptures to serve my agenda. But to do that, I have to seek to know the real God, the God of Scripture, not God in my image, not God the way I want him, not God the way I've always heard or thought he should be, but rather allow the scriptures to speak. And when that collision happens, can I tell you, the scripture is always in the end going to win. <laughs> and the scriptures always going to win. And here's what I believe. I truly believe this. If you are a person who is genuinely seeking God, I mean, you're sincerely seeking God for who he is, not for who you want him to be. God will show himself to you through his word. I really genuinely believe that. And I believe that that's what John was saying here about these people who are teaching who are legitimate versus those who are not legit. Those people who are actually from God, they're going to speak about Jesus Christ. So test those spirits. Are they speaking about Jesus? Those people are going to have Jesus front and center in their lives and in their message. Those who are not putting Christ front and center, Those people, beware of those people. He said they could be operating under the spirit of antichrist. They're very much against Christ, and they're leading people away. And so he said this is how you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's keep on reading. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but rather he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Here John goes on to talk about another marker of having a healthy perspective of who God really is and a person who is genuinely legitimately following him and teaching and preaching him because the love of God manifests through us as a selfless preference for other people. He said, listen, no one's seen God, but you wanna know what it looks like to see God? Look at the way that people love one another. There's something different here, because the more you know God, the less you're concerned about getting your way. Now it doesn't become about your will or your way that you're pursuing. Now something has shifted, something has changed, and it's a drastic shift, and it's a drastic change. It's not just being nice, it's not just being cordial, because someone who is not following God, someone who is not a Christ follower, they can be cordial. They can be benevolent. They can be generous. They can be uh, someone who does nice things for other people that we look at, that it touches our heart and touches us emotionally. So this is something different. This is more than just being a nice person. This is us understanding that, listen, I am not as concerned about getting my way as I used to be. I'm not concerned about getting the attention as much as I used to be. I'm not as much concerned about making a name for myself as I used to be. It is a selfless kind of love, a love that actually denies self and actually points people to God. And the more I know God, this type of behavior is going to come out of my life because it's going to show I really am of Him. The love of God that abides in me. So these people who were preaching and teaching something that was very much against Christ, they obviously didn't have the marker of loving God and loving others because John said this is part of testing. This is part of knowing. This is part of discerning. This is part of growing and having a healthy view of God so we can know as children. So we can know as men and women of God how we are to love. We are to love one another with this same type of love that was given to us. We're not as concerned about getting our way. It doesn't now matter as much as it used to. Now there's something different that's driving us. There's something different that's motivating us. There's something different that has challenged us and has made us more and more like him. And we should be growing in that. We should be growing in that perspective. We should be growing in that understanding because the more I know God, the more I'm gonna love what God loves and I'm gonna hate what God hates. And the more I know him, these things are gonna come naturally out of the believer who has a healthy view of God, who has a healthy relationship with God because before I knew him, before I walked with him, then it was natural for me to be concerned with getting my way. It was, it was natural for me to be concerned about the, what I wanted. I didn't even understand contentment. I didn't understand true joy. I didn't understand true peace. I didn't understand what generosity actually looked like. I didn't understand what being a living sacrifice looked like. I wasn't interested in those things before, but now my life is driven by things that I I want to point people to him. And I want my heart to be so fixed on him that whatever may come my way, I can be content in all things. I can truly rest because I know I have Christ and Christ has become enough. And when he becomes enough, I am able to find that joy. I am able to find that peace and that contentment. And it's not like the kind of peace that the world gives. It's something different. Because now I know that I am right with God because of what Christ has done. And so the more I know God, the sweeter the gospel becomes to me. And the more I know God, the less I'm concerned about getting my way. Let's read these last few scriptures here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Stop right there. He said that there is no fear in love. He's speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about the gospel. Perfect love casts out fear. If I'm afraid, I'm more concerned about punishment. I'm more actually driven out of this fear thing. And actually, if I'm walking in the love of Christ, then his perfect love has cast that kind of fear out of me. It has no place in my life. He said, if you're still afraid, if you're still focused on this punishment type of reward based system. If you're still thinking about making sure you're doing enough, if you're being enough, if you're striving and and hitting the mark, if that's still your motivation, you have not been perfected in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no no fear of striving. It all stops when you have come into faith in Christ and he's made you new. Why? Verse 19 says, And then we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, the more you know God, others will notice this difference in you. It's not just something that You have come to peace with yourself, but other people will begin to notice something different in you. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How you view God shapes everything else in life. How you view God shapes your priorities. And resetting your view of God begins with the return to your need it begins with a return to your total dependence, a return to knowing God more. Because the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to know and love God. Because there's a lot of people in this world that say they know God. There's a lot of people who say, I talk to the, the big man upstairs, right? Talk to the, the big man upstairs, and like I, I know God. Me and, me and the man upstairs are good. And they think basically that they've been good, meaning that they haven't killed or they haven't, you know, stolen anything lately or they, you know, stayed out of jail, stayed out of trouble, whatever their criteria is for being good. Uh, You know, they've gone to church, they've been baptized, they've, you know, checked all the boxes, and they've, you know, gone down the list, and they feel pretty good about themselves. And so they think that because they've done so much good that they know God, and God's good with them, and that they're going to make heaven when they die, and that's really the goal anyways. And so, you know, as long as I just kind of am better than most of the bad people then I'm a good person and that's how they think they're okay with God. But you see, the more I know God, other people are actually going to notice that I know God. If I really know God, people are going to know I know God. They're going to know it because of the way I treat them and the way I love them. And they're also going to know it because there's going to be a passion, a, a, a deep-seated passion that I know Him and people will be able to identify that I know God, Jesus dealt with something like this over in John chapter 8. And I am talking about um, John uh, from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can flip over there um, to Big John (laughs) chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus, oh man, this is a tough one, you guys. Because Jesus, in John chapter 8, he's talking to religious people. And he's talking to people who have worked really, really hard at being really, really good. I mean really, really hard at being really, really good. These people had become so disciplined at doing the right things that they were very proud of their heritage. They were proud of the traditions that they had kept. They were very proud of how they had gotten so many things right and how they could trace their family heritage all the way back to Abraham. They were very proud of that. And they used those things to give them some sense of security, thinking that because I am a person who can tr- trace my lineage back to Abraham, the friend of God, the, f- the father of faith, the-, the one who was given the covenant and the promise, they thought that that made them accepted in the eyes of God. They trusted in that and they looked at that as something that gave them a great sense of pride and security. Same thing to do with the law. God gave the Jews the law and so if they were good law abiding, law keeping Jews who had at least kept more laws than they had broken, you know, at least the big ones, you know, if they had done that then they felt pretty secure in that and they would boast how good they were at keeping the law. And then all of the additions that other people and other rabbis would add to the law, if they could keep those on top of that. Man, then they were doing even better. And so they thought they were really good because these people had worked really, really hard. You need to understand this. These weren't just average Joe folks that Jesus was talking to. These were like the religious elite. These people were the best at being good and following the rules. And they were very devout. And they had done a lot of good things in their own eyes and accomplished a lot of good things in their own eyes. And Jesus has an interaction with these people. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 8 and verse 39. Those religious leaders, they said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. So you see where their security is. And then Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You see where their security is? You see what they're boasting in? Jesus said to them, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Could you imagine hearing that from Jesus? If you were a person who had tried really, really hard to get it right. If you were a person who thought you were doing a really good job at being a really good person. I'm good with God. God knows me. I, I've done all these things. Look, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. Look, I'm following the law. I am a good person. I'm doing all the right things. And Jesus just called them children of Satan. <laughs> he said, you are of your father, the devil. Why did Jesus call them Children of Satan, he said, because you're speaking lies with your mouth. You're saying you love God. You're saying you're a child of God, but your actions are showing something else. And the intentions of your heart are showing something else. The intentions of their heart were murder, murder against Jesus, because they were hating what he was saying. And they wanted to see him dead. And Jesus saw right through All of this Abraham, all this good Jew, he saw right through all of those things and he cut right to the heart and he said, let me reveal what's actually in your heart. You want to know what's in your heart? Murder, lies. You want to know who else drives murders and lies and, and, and who is the father of all of that? Satan. So that's who actually you're associated with and who is your father. Could you imagine hearing that? What a harsh reality to be faced with. And it's something that I want to make sure that we're faced with as well. Even though it is a harsh reality. And it's something I know that maybe you thought, did I really get out in the snow to come to church to hear this? Yes, yes you did. And I want you to hear it because I want you to evaluate where your hope and your trust is as we're resetting our view of God. Because I don't want anyone who hears this teaching or anyone who calls this church their home, who regularly is exposed to us teaching the scripture here at Word of Grace. I don't want anyone to falsely think that they know God when they don't know God. I don't want anyone here, "I, I love you too much, I care about you too much, to let you go by being fooled and deceived because you think you've done something, because you've checked a box or because you've done something you thought was impressive or you have avoided some big bad sins and you've been a decent person that you think you actually know God. I don't want you to think because you serve, because you give, because you attend, I don't want you to think those things are the reason that you know God. No, here, John, he said it very clearly. Are they speaking Christ and do they love each other? Are they loving with the love of God? Are they walking in fear, trying to somehow offset the wrong they've done? Or are they secure in the love of God? And has it changed them to the point that they are loving each other and other people can see something different in them? Do we genuinely know God? What's our view of God? What's our perspective of God? Tozer says it's the most important thing about us. And I believe that. I agree with that. It is the most important thing about us because it's going to shape the way that we think about grace, forgiveness. The amount of time we'll be willing to hold on to bitterness and offense and unforgiveness is based on, do I really know God? Because how can I say I love God who I haven't seen and I'm hating my brother who I do see? If I say that, I, I'm a liar. And I don't want to be a liar because the father of all lies is Satan. And I don't, I don't want to be associated with the father of all lies. I want the truth to be in me. The truth sets us free. I want the, to know how to walk in truth. I want to know how to be led by the Spirit into all truth. I want to know how to speak the truth in love. But for me to do that, I have to know him. And I have to be known by him. And I don't want us to be fooled into thinking that because we've done all the things we thought we were supposed to do, at the right time, that we're okay. I want us to examine our hearts and say, do I know God? Because the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to love God. Here's your bottom line today, church. Embracing Jesus for who He really is will shape your view of God. Embracing Jesus for who He really is. Because the more you know God, the sweeter the gospel of Jesus Christ is to you. The more you know God, the less you're concerned about getting your own way. The more you know God, others will notice the difference in you. I want to know him more. And the only way for me to know him more is I need to embrace Jesus for who he really is. Not who I've always heard him. Not who I've always made him out to be. Not the way that society would like for Jesus to be. But who is he really? And allow the scriptures to shape my view of God and embrace Christ for who He is because loving Jesus is the test for whether or not I really do love God or not. A lot of people can say that there are many roads that lead to God, but the Scripture says that there's only one way, and His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. Do I know Him? Have I embraced Him? Have I really embraced him for who he really is? Or do I want to be accepted by the world? And do I want to play the same game that the world plays? And I want to honor him with my lips, but my heart is far from him. Do I really know him? Loving Jesus is the test of whether or not I love God. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 4. He said, are you speaking of God? Are you speaking of Christ? Are you pointing people to love? Are you pointing people to the love that he's given us? Has it changed you? Or are you still afraid? Or are you still in fear? Are you still in fear? Are you more afraid of people and, and what they think about you? Are you more afraid of being accepted by your coworkers or your neighbors or your family members? Have you forsaken all to follow Jesus because you found such great worth in Him that nothing else compares, that everything else pales in comparison to the simple fact of knowing Him? And it's not because I know Jesus and He gets me stuff. It's not because I know Jesus and now I can have all of these blessings. It's not because I know Jesus and now I can ask him to heal my physical body. Or I can ask him to give me a promotion at my job. Or I can ask him to help me buy a new house or whatever the case may be. Can I pray? Can I ask? Will he do those things? Sure. But those things pale in comparison to knowing him. And embracing Jesus for who He is is enough because if He never did anything else for us than die on the cross for our sins, folks, He has done more than you or I ever could deserve. I want to embrace that Jesus. That's the Jesus I want to know, and that's the Jesus that I want you to know because that's the, that's the Jesus of Scripture. And I hate to burst your bubble. I I, I, I hate... To, to disappoint you because maybe you got into this thing because some slick tongued preacher told you that if you follow Jesus, all your problems will just disappear and go away, and you'll never have any challenges in life, and God will just wave his magic wand and things will get better, especially if you give three easy payments of $19.95. And we've bought into those things. We have. A lot of people get disappointed in God because God didn't do what they wanted when they wanted. God didn't operate on their timetable. God didn't operate according to their schedule so they somehow think that they have the right to be disappointed in God. Church we do not have a right to be disappointed in Him. He gets to call anything He wants good because He alone is good. And That means if I go through difficulty it can still be for my good and His glory. I may not see it as good I may see it as challenging. I may want to give up. I may want to quit. But if I trust in the God of Scripture, I can know Him more and embrace Him more and know who He is and know I don't have to get my way. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth in my life this day as it is in heaven. Are we just saying these things? Are we just reciting these things because we memorize them? Or are we actually believing these things? You see, when I know Him, I'm seeking to grow and knowing him more and more, and he's he's shaping, he's changing my view. I have to be willing to give up what I thought in the past because guess what, Derek, that bunny wasn't as big as you thought it was when you were a little kid. But I thought it was big. No, 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 it wasn't. Your, Your view was different back then. Your perspective was different. You've grown. You've learned some things. You've got a new perspective, and as you grow in your perspective, keep growing in and being grounded and rooted in scripture this is going to shape our view of god this is going to shape our view of his grace his forgiveness his will is loving jesus more than doing things for god is loving jesus more than feeling something what is loving jesus what does it even mean to love him see loving jesus is treasuring him above all things To the point that there is nothing greater to us than loving him, than pleasing him, than treasuring him, than obeying him. The fruit of a life pursuing to know him more will be evident. This is how you grow. This is how you discern who is of God and what is of God. John made it very clear. He said, this is how you're going to know. Are they passionate about Jesus? Are they pointing people to Jesus? Are they saying there's no one greater, there's nothing else more to gain? If you have Jesus, I can be content in knowing Christ and Christ alone. This world could be taken from me. If I still have Jesus, I still have more than enough. I pray that you have found that type of worth in Christ greater than family, greater than finances, greater than your ambitions. I pray that you are finding that and you have found that, that you have discovered the treasure in the field. And if you haven't, then I believe today is the day, perhaps, of your salvation, whether you're right here in this room with these few that we've gathered or whether you're out in the commons area or whether you're joining us online. Perhaps today there was a greater purpose than what you thought when you woke up this morning and you planned on coming to church. Maybe God had something else greater in mind. Maybe today is the day that that Ephesians prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians, that their eyes, that their understanding would be open. Perhaps today is the day the eyes of your understanding are open. Perhaps today is the day that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you actually mean it. You're not just going through some rhythm. Perhaps today is a day where you repent and you acknowledge your sin and acknowledge your need for a Savior and you realize the beauty of the cross and what Christ has done. Perhaps today something is being stirred in you that hasn't been stirred before and I want you to allow God to do what it is that He is trying to do in your heart by you just surrendering and saying, yes, Lord. As many as call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. I, I want to see you call on the name of the Lord. Perhaps today is the day that you do that. Perhaps today is the day where you begin your journey as a new creation in Christ where old things have passed away. All things have become new. Perhaps today is the day where you say, yes, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. So Lord, I pray you would help us to respond accordingly to the gospel that's been presented and your word that has confronted us And your Holy Spirit that is shaping us more and more into that image of Christ as we are bearers of light, as we are bearers of this message of the gospel, as we are salt, as we are light to this world. May we be people who don't just know things about you. May it be more than that. May we be people who actually know you and It is apparent to others that we know you because of the love that we have for you, because of the devotion that we have to you and because of the love that we show them. May it be evidence of the spirit of God living on the inside of us. May it be evidence of Jesus having every fiber of our being. May it be evidence that we are actually yours. Let us not be deceived. Lord, if anyone is deceived here today, may their eyes be opened to see their need for Jesus. May they respond to the Spirit's drawing today. For no man comes unless the Spirit first draws him. So Spirit, we pray as you're drawing people that hearts are being changed today, that eternity is being impacted. We thank you, God, that your kingdom is expanding as people respond to the gospel, as people respond to the message of the cross. May we seek to know you more and more. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.